0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today we invite you to look deeper into 1 Peter, tuning into our current series, Unshakable: Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. Join us as we allow God's Word to shape us and renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel.
1: Hey Woodside family, Pastor Chris here. I am pretty fired up about today. I hope you are having a great day. In just a few moments, we're going to look to God's Word to Uh, get our hearts encouraged, and to remind us of the hope we have in Jesus. But before we do that, I have the privilege of introducing you to one of our newest executive team members. You'll really love him. I hope you get a chance to to know him and and appreciate him as much as I do. Matt Mancinelli has uh, joined our team to oversee stewardship and our Woodside Vision Foundation. So I want to just take a moment for you to get a chance to meet a new friend, Matt. Thanks, Pastor Chris, and hey everybody, very good to be here and meet you. I'm
0: really excited to be at Woodside. I've just been here actually for a few weeks, visiting a few campuses, already love it here, am uh, excited about what God's doing and excited to be part of this family. I'm also really excited to be in this role, and that's because I love giving and generosity, and I believe it's crucial to our discipleship. So I believe that generosity isn't about what God wants from you, but what he wants for you. And uh, that's because he created us to be givers. He created us with the DNA of Jesus, who is obviously the most generous giver. And we get to walk in that and do what we are created to do when we give. So I'm not here for what God wants from you to shake some money out of you or because he needs your money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns that world and everything in it. He doesn't need your money. But what he wants is like he promises in 1 Timothy 6, that when we give, we're storing up treasure in heaven that we will experience later when we go there. And we're experiencing the life that is truly life right now. So my wife, Loretta and I, we love to give. That's part of why we're excited about this. I was actually just thinking of a story this morning of a time that we went to Chili's with a few friends. And uh, we had our meal and we left something like a 500% tip on the bill. And we left the restaurant, but it was all lit up inside. It was at night. And so I remember stopping with my friends and watching in the window as the waiter kind of moped over to, grabbed the bill, but then picked it up and got excited and went and uh, showed the other wait staff. And we were just sitting out there like, this is fun, this is what giving is about. And that's what we wanna help you, uh, us all understand together. We also, Loretta and I, love working with people on their giving. So we've worked with people who are in big time debt and need help getting a budget and digging out. We've worked with people who have a lot of extra, doing retreats and digging deeper. And we're excited to be able to do that all together at Woodside and really look forward to these years ahead. So thanks so much. Uh, Really delightful to meet you. And uh, please enjoy this message from Pastor Chris.
1: Hey, Woodside family, Pastor Chris here. I hope you're enjoying this phenomenal day of worship. If you're in person, what a joy it is to know that we can gather together with the people of God to lift up the name of God in the house of God. And even if you're at home, what a joy to know that we can still gather virtually to give praises to our great God and King. I wanna start this morning by asking a question. How are you doing? You know, we just have come through one of the most tumultuous years that any of us have ever seen or faced. And now we're entering into what will probably be uh, the toughest political weeks that we've seen in this country in a generation or maybe even more. So my question to you is, how are you doing? For many of us, our emotions are all across the spectrum. And if that's true for you, don't feel abnormal. That is probably the norm for this season. And out of all of the emotions that many of us are feeling, maybe anxiety around all that 2020 has presented and looks like is on the horizon, may best describe how most of us are processing our emotions right now. We just wanna get off the train, get off the Ferris wheel and have it stop for just a moment. Well, I get it, I understand. But hopefully you've come to a place in your journey with Jesus that you know where to go with your emotions when they feel sporadic, out of control, even overwhelmed. Hopefully, you know to look to God's word. And today we're going to do just that. We're going to look to God's word to be able to ground our emotions and to rediscover the hope, the eternal hope that we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, I want to start by uh, asking you if you were born and raised in Detroit, if you remember the year 2010. Well, many of us will. If you're a sports fan in particular, you'll remember the year 2010 because that is when we got a chance as a city to host Super Bowl XL. You remember that Super Bowl 50? Man, it was an amazing world-class event. And it was awesome to be able to see as a resident of Detroit, to see how the Metro Detroit area came together in unity. It showed us how we could be at our best when we act as one. Civic leaders, corporate leaders, even church leaders came together with one mission, and that was to make sure that our city looked the best that it could be for the world. And I remember how it looked. Man, did our city look good. I'll never forget watching the Super Bowl and seeing shots of our city as producers cut away from the Super Bowl to commercials. And I remember thinking and saying even to my wife that I didn't even recognize my own hometown. I'll never forget how well Detroit and the surrounding area responded in that moment. But I'll also never forget the theme of Super Bowl XL. Do you remember that? If you were born and raised in Detroit, you might remember that the theme was the world is watching. Think about that for just a moment. We as a city lived for about a year or so with this sense that the eyes of the world were all on us. In many ways, that's exactly what we're going to study today. That's exactly Peter's point in writing 1 Peter chapter 3. Let's go there together. 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 17. Now, if you've been journeying with us in this season, you know we've been studying 1 Peter. And in 1 Peter, his his premise is that we are to be a people of hope. You may have voted for a candidate that didn't get elected, or maybe you voted for one that did get elected, or maybe you don't even know if the candidates that you voted for are gonna win or lose. It's still tossed up in the air. Well, no matter where you find yourself on that spectrum, what Peter wants us to know is that we're supposed to be a people of hope because ultimately our hope is not derived from this world politics. Ultimately, our hope is derived from the promise, revelation of Jesus Christ, his His coming to rescue us from this fallen world. We must place our hope fully in him. This is the admonishment of Peter throughout, that if you are a Christian, you should be marked by hope. People should see you and say, there goes a person who is full of hope. So again, how are you doing and reflecting that hope? Well, Peter says that our hope should not just be a part of our personality, it should change our relationships. Think about it, as you journey through 1 Peter, maybe you notice how he said we should relate to even outsiders, those outside of our faith. In 1 Peter chapter one, verses 15 and 17, he says we should conduct ourselves with fear. Fear of men, no. Fear of God, yes. We should live as those who are holy, set apart by God. And this means that we should have a different ethic or morality. We shouldn't walk in pride or in arrogance, but in humility. We should have a morality that not only seeks our own good, but the flourishing of those around us. This is the type of people we should be because we are people of hope. And then Peter goes on to say that that hope should produce a love, not only for those outside of the faith, but in particular for those within the faith. Chapter 1 of 1 Peter, verse 22 says that we are to love one another from an earnest and pure heart. We are to love one another deeply, earnestly from a pure heart. Imagine if we were known for that. Imagine if the church was known as a place that you could come to receive the type of love that you could find nowhere else in the world. Not a shallow love, not a love that turns on you just because we have a disagreement over some earthly things, but a love that says, I'm committed to you no matter what. Then Peter goes on to say how our hope in Christ should affect the way that we relate to uh, various institutions, how we relate to government, how we relate to even our employers. All of that is in chapter two. But by the time we get to chapter 3, Peter wants us to know that the world is watching and the world wants to see, are we really going to live this way? Are we going to live as a people of hope, with a hope that transforms our relationships and how we relate to the institutions around us? Or is our hope simply a veneer for living a shallow life, not loving a life full of pride and arrogance, He wants us to live as if the world is watching it. I don't know about you, but when I know all eyes are on me, it causes me to live and do better. All of us know what it's like to have a messy house and then to get a call from a friend that says, I'm around the corner, I'm on my way. Even if your house is messy, you're going to take everything and throw it into that closet, try to clean up a space or an area because you know that their eyes are going to see you. When all eyes are on you, it changes the way that we live. But Peter also wants uh, those early followers of Christ to know that everybody who's watching you won't be a fan of the fact that you've made a decision to be a faithful follower of Christ. We need to know that. We need to know that we live in a culture just like they did of people who will be hostile often towards our decision to be Christ followers, to live out the ethics of the teachings of Jesus. So how do we respond when our faith and our hope in Christ uh, collides with the hostility of a culture that is anti-Christ or pagan or against or hostile towards our faith? Well, we're going to pick that up today. And what Peter wants us to see in this particular paragraph, what he wanted his original audience to see is that we should have no fear. Why? Because our hope should remove fear of suffering. He gives us three reasons why this is true. Let's look at uh, verses 13 and 14 for the first reason. And here's the first reason Peter gives on why we should not fear. It's because no one can stop our blessing. Look at verses 13 and 14 with me. And It says, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Peter starts out this particular paragraph with a hypothetical question, and within that hypothetical question, there's a conditional clause. Here's a hypothetical question. Who is there to harm you? Now, you could list a whole litany of people and organizations and entities that could have harmed this scattered people, this people who were scattered abroad without voice or place or power or position, but Peter's getting at something deeper. And he puts this conditional clause in the question, what is the conditional clause? If you are zealous for what is good. Here, Peter is challenging the believer's hearts. And he's asking us, are we eager to do what God has called us to do? Are we eager to live as a people of hope? To live as a people whose hearts are fully sold out to God. Are we eager to live as a people who have committed ourselves to loving God and loving people because of the hope we have in our hearts because of Christ? Well, if we are eager or zealous for what is good, then we should have no fear. Why should we have no fear? Peter says, because we are blessed. Even if we suffer, we are blessed. Now, what does that mean? What Peter is saying is that sometimes suffering does come along with the Christian life. He doesn't mince words. He doesn't minimize that. Peter wants us to know that suffering is a part of the Christian life. He's not mincing words. He's not giving some pie in the sky. Theology, my friends, when you live for Christ, we should expect that in this world, we're going to suffer because of our commitments, because of our convictions to follow him. But we should have no fear. Why? Because we are still blessed. I'll mention that we're blessed in just a moment. We'll come back to that. But consider suffering for a moment. Now, for them, suffering may have included losing your life for your faith. You know, recently I did a radio interview with uh, a good friend, Todd Nettleton, who works for The Voice of the Martyrs. Maybe you've heard of that organization. Well, they've recently re-released their book, Jesus Freaks, and it's a, a book that records martyrs from the early first century even till now. Many have been called upon to lay down their life for their faith in Christ. Now, for many of us, that probably won't be the cost that we'll have to pay. It doesn't mean, though, that we won't face persecution. We'll face social rejection. We'll even face maybe even being mocked and ridiculed. Maybe even being robbed of our earthly possessions. It's hard to know all that we'll face here. But what we do know is that our culture is growing more and more hostile towards our faith in Jesus Christ. But while they are able to mock us and ridicule us and maybe even keep us out of certain social circles or rob us of our material things, they cannot stop us from being blessed. So let's go back to this word blessed. What does it mean? Well, the Greek for this word blessed is the same word that Jesus used in the Beatitudes over and over again. Now, it does not mean to feel delighted. That's not the type of blessed that he's talking about. It means to be highly privileged. Peter is saying that no matter what opposition we face, no matter what the world throws our way, no matter what persecution we face, we'll never lose our privilege. Now, where does our privilege come from as believers? It comes from being a part of the family of God. Beloved, we are sons and daughters of God. We have been positioned in the family in a way that we could never lose our access to God as our father we have put our faith in Jesus Christ. Our privilege of being a child of God is something that this world didn't give and this world can't take away. So what does it mean if they mock us or ridicule us or push us to the social margins That's okay because we still are highly privileged because we are sons and daughters of God. You know, I grew up with two pretty incredible parents, James and Pat. You know, my parents weren't perfect, but they loved me and they loved my siblings as well. And one of the things that they used to drive home constantly when I was younger is no matter what disappointment I faced in the world, no matter how much my heart was broken by the world, I would always be their son. Nothing would ever change that. Now, you have no idea how much security and comfort that brought me to know that I would always have their love, their support. They would always have my back. And even to this moment, I know that my mom and dad have my back. If nobody else loves me, I know that they do. Maybe you have parents like that. And even if you don't, you definitely have a God who's committed to you like that. Now I'm a parent of my own, and and I get a chance to say to my children that no matter what rejection you experience in the world, no matter what disappointment you encounter in the world, nothing will change the fact that I'm your dad and you're my child. You will always hold the privileged position of being a Brooks kid and all the benefits that come along with that well in many ways this is exactly what peter wants us to remember that we will always hold the privileged position of being sons and daughters of god so no matter what happens in this world don't be dismayed friends don't let fear cause you to lose faith or lose heart don't fear the suffering we'll experience in this world Keep your eyes on Jesus and know that nothing this world throws at you will change your position in him. There's a second reason why Peter wants us to know that our hope should remove our fear. And that is because no opposition can stop our mission. No opposition can stop our mission. Look at what Peter encourages In verse 15, instead of being troubled, instead of having fear, he says, but in your hearts honor Christ. The Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Here again, Peter doesn't water down what it means to live in the fallen world. He tells us that we're gonna face persecution and opposition. We're gonna face disappointment and rejection. But his advice to us is that the best response to that type of persecution is good behavior that comes from a heart that is honoring Christ. Notice what he says to us. He says, honor Christ, how? By setting him apart by making him holy in our hearts. Now, we have encountered this word holy throughout all of Peter's letter. And over and over again, we've tried to drive home this definition of what it means to be holy. It means to be set apart from others, to be set apart for a special work in a special place. Well, what place does Christ occupy in your heart? Have you set him apart Have you set apart Christ in your heart for a very special place of honor? You know, there's a lot of people that we all hold in our heart. Maybe it's friends you hold in your heart. Maybe it's family you hold in your heart. Maybe, hopefully, it's brothers and sisters in Christ that you hold in your heart. And and that's appropriate. That's good. But yet, we're called to hold a special place for Christ in our hearts. This, this doesn't mean that we just simply uh, set him aside for Sundays, it means that there is a special place of honor and reverence. Think about it for just a moment, some of you may uh, have some valuable things that you keep in your house and you have a safe in your house for those valuable things or a place that only you know about, uh, a place that is special to you for special things. Some who are older may even remember lock boxes that used to be at banks, where if there was something that you held that was very important to you, stock certificates or jewelry or heirlooms, you may even put it in a lock box because that's where you kept special things. Well, in the same way, what uh, Peter is encouraging us is to have in our hearts a special place for Christ in which only he rules and reigns. He is the only one that should have the key to the lockbox of our heart. But when we do this, when we set apart Christ as holy in our hearts, when we honor him, Peter again presupposes that there will be those who will question our faith. Notice what he says here in verse 15. He says, always being prepared to give a defense to anyone who asks For a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. He presupposes that you and I need to always be ready because our faith will always be questioned. We're in a season right now, friends, where the Christian faith is going to be challenged. It's going to be challenged increasingly so as we get closer to the return of Christ And what Peter is admonishing us is that we should be prepared for the challenges that come to our faith. He says we should give a defense. Notice notice Peter's view of the opposition that comes, the questioning of our faith. He doesn't see it uh, with eyes of lament, but he sees it with eyes of opportunity. For Peter, opposition is only opportunity for us to live out our mission. Now, what is our mission? It is to be his witnesses. You'll remember in Acts 1 and 8, Jesus says to his followers, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, now Peter is using another legal term. This word defense in the Greek is apologia or apologia. It means to give a defense or to argue a case. In this sense, we are arguing our case for Christ. Why should we follow Christ? And Peter says that we should always be ready to do that. We should always be ready to give our defense for Jesus. So my friends, when they question our faith, when they challenge our belief and trust in Jesus. Don't see that opposition through eyes of lament. See it as opportunity for us to fulfill our mission. Opposition does not stop our mission. It furthers our mission. It gives us opportunity to be able to share Christ. But notice the attitude that should go along with our defense, gentleness, and respect. Again, going back to this political season, one of the realities for some is that maybe the people or the person you were hoping to win actually wins. Well, what are you going to do with that? Are you going to respond with arrogance and pride or are you going to uh, wear victory with humility? This is part of what it means to be a Christian. It is to know that we are victorious but to respond with gentleness and respect. And when we do, We don't just win elections, but we win hearts. That's what we should be after. I think about this uh, in my own life on a daily basis. Having a radio program means that I'm constantly sharing my faith in Christ, and it is constantly being met with hostility. It was just a little bit ago that I did a show that focused in on our conviction as Christians around the sanctity of life. And I argued that we should desire to protect life from the womb to the end of life at every point in between. Well, I remember seeing a post from a listener who responded with intense hostility. Why do you as Christians focus so much on this sanctity of life? And they began to berate me, mock me, and even ridicule me. Well, when I saw that post, I realized I had one of two options on how I could respond to this attack against my person. Well, one response was to respond with vitriol, meeting anger with anger. The other is I could follow the uh, advice of Peter, respond with gentleness and respect. I chose the latter. And so I said that I respect your opinion to disagree, and I appreciate your passion around this area. But I would also like to suggest that as followers of Christ, we are called to love the vulnerable and the voiceless. And I hope that you would join us in this mission. You know, as I was typing, I couldn't help but to remember the words of Proverbs 15 and 1, that a soft answer turns away wrath. Well, I'm really excited to say that the person responded favorably. They they saw my response, my uh, gentleness and respect and how I replied to them, and their reply to me was, please forgive me. My post was uh, written in anger and in emotion. I would love to have a conversation with you. You see, opposition does not stop our mission. It literally opens up the door for us to advance our mission. So no one can stop our blessing. Uh, No opposition can stop our mission. Then he closes with this third point, and that is nothing is better than God's will. Verse number 17, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. It's better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Two points in this last verse. The first is that suffering for good is more valuable than suffering for evil. Now, what this means is that there is no value for us suffering for our faults if we are the reason for the suffering. But if our suffering is because of our fidelity to Christ, then great is our reward in heaven. But there's a second point here, and that second point is that sometimes it's God's will for you and I to suffer. Sometimes it is God's will that even while we are doing good, we should suffer. Now we've been trained that when we do good, that the reward for that is a positive reaction. But sometimes God's will is for us to suffer. And that may seem totally counterintuitive, except for the case of Christ. Because we are followers of Christ, we know this this is exactly what is true about the life of Christ. Verse number 18 bears this out when it tells us, for Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. What Peter wants us to know is that our Lord suffered for doing good, and on the other side of his obedience... And our faith in him, we're brought from death to life. And so you and I may be called upon to suffer in the days to come for doing what is right. But no, on the other side of our obedience, our testimony will bring many to Christ as well. So I wanna encourage you in this season, in a season where it seems like culture is changing rapidly, where it seems like maybe disappointment is constantly at the door knocking, where it seems like there's constant opposition to our faith. To have no fear, to know that you are blessed, to know that no opposition can stop our mission and to know that if we suffer for what is good, God will be glorified. And where do we get this hope? We get this hope from a relationship with Jesus. So let me simply close by saying that if you're going to make it through this world in this season with hope, you need a relationship with Christ. And if you have never given your heart to him before, I pray that today you would, because I promise you, he makes all things new, and he will give you a hope that is unshakable. Be encouraged, my friends. Know that Christ is with us. He loves you, and that if you live for him, he will use your life for his glory and for the good of many. God bless, and I hope you have a great day as we continue on in this awesome time together.